Good morning, everybody. I'm Rob. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all. Every Sunday I get to do this, I literally take a second and just enjoy finding out who's here. When you sit in the front row and you're there a bit early, then you don't actually know who you're going to be speaking to. So thank you for being here. You've already made my day. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. It's the first book of the New Testament. It comes right after Malachi. It's before Mark and Luke. So as you have your Bibles or a reliable smartphone app, you're welcome to thumb your way over there. So good. The title of the message today is, We Have Come to Worship Him, which is quoting the wise men who come to see Jesus. And so uh, my desire for this morning, I'm really grateful for how things have been going so far. People talking about the privilege of worshiping Jesus, um, the beauty of, of humility in God's servants, in God's worshipers. Um, the pump's already been primed, so I'm just going to aim to hit the ground running. But what I want to do this morning is we're going to read the story of the Magi coming to visit uh, the child Christ, and then we'll talk a little bit about, or at least I will, um, talk a little bit about what's going on in the story, and then I want to just tackle this story from two different vantage points. The first one being the truth that it's better to give than to receive, and then I want to turn that around and say it's better to receive than give, and hopefully by the time we're done that will make sense, how both of those things can be true at the same time. Will you read with me the Gospel of Matthew, starting in chapter 2, and then let's pray together. These are the very words of God. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warmed in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child with his mother by night and departed to Egypt, 
and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they were no more. Let's pray together. Father, here in the West, we're in desperate need for you to make alive these stories and traditions that we've had for so long. And yet there's nothing normal about the living God. So Lord, would you do something this morning to awaken slumbering hearts and to open dull eyes and to enliven uh, habitual ears. Father, I pray that even as Diego was sharing with us the vibrancy of meeting people who heard about Jesus for the first time, I pray that we too, in our own way, would be living in the light of the living God with the joy and excitement that comes from having this treasure. And Father, I pray that you would help me. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, by grace, by mercy, for your glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Having people travel from the Middle East would be one of the strangest events that a young mom would have after having a child. Because there's that phase when you have a baby, right? It's the people showing up in your hospital room phase. Has anybody ever experienced this? Maybe you've gone and visited somebody, and then that's when it feels like the hospital rooms are a little bit too small, and you wish that um, our hospital in town had somewhere to get some decent food nearby or in the building. And there's just that visiting phase. Has anybody ever had someone travel for a month or two by camel to come and say congratulations? Just just me? I've got my hand up, so what what is that even doing there? (laughs) This is an odd event. But like I was praying, because many of us are used to um, these nativity scenes and pageants and lights on people's front lawns in the middle of winter. Um, I want to dive into this and just talk a little bit about it, maybe with the hope that it will become alive again to us, just how kind of strange this is. After Jesus was born to Mary, these wise men come from the East. And I I love the Bible. It sometimes just does the, the worst job of answering our questions on purpose. What? Like, wouldn't you want to know where they actually came from? Like, from the east? Doesn't give you a city, doesn't give you a town, just calls them wise men, which means, like, mad, mad, mad joy they were called. And it's somewhat unclear exactly what they were. Some people think that they're probably Zoroastrians, which doesn't help anybody. But all we know about them is that they took stars really seriously and that they were rich. 
because in order to give gold away to somebody, you have to have it in the first place. Anybody handing up um, chests of gold for Christmas? Because I'd like to let you know where I live, just in case <laughs> you're doing that and you have a few coins left over in your couch cushions or whatever. We don't know tons about them, other than that they really cared about stars and they really um, were, must have been quite wealthy, which probably meant that they were some kind of upper-class people. And so people who care about these things suggest that they were probably in the priestly class in some Persian religion or something like that, which is great to surmise, but we don't know because the Bible doesn't care for us to know. The important thing is actually who they came to visit. But they came to visit him because they were the kind of people who thought that God communicated, or the gods maybe, through the heavens. And this was very common for a long time until, you know, we made some um, telescopes and discovered that the sky is a billion times larger than we ever thought it was. And for some reason, there must not be a God because it's much bigger than we thought it was there. You know, the bigger we think things are, the, the smaller God must be, right? Because that absolutely makes sense. So we grind some glass down to discover that the universe is way bigger than anyone ever thought, and therefore there must be no God. But back in the days when they kind of thought the universe was a bit smaller, they thought that this universe was made by a God, and so why wouldn't he speak through the stars? And so they had come to this conviction through their stargazing that um, the king of the Jews had been born. And grace upon grace and mercy upon mercies, they were right by the kindness of the creator God. He wanted some people who weren't in Bethlehem to come and visit his son. And they, wonder of wonders, came. And they show up to Herod's court. And so Herod was the king reigning in Jerusalem. He was not um, a, a descendant of David. He wasn't really a rightful king, but he was really good friends with the Roman emperor. And so he was there as kind of like a stand-in ruler of this area. Rome was ruling over Judea and Jerusalem, but Herod was there um, as the king of that area because, I, as I understood it, he was friends with the emperor. And so he's ruling over this thing, and so he hears this story that the king of the Jews has been born, and Herod knows that none of his kids have had a kid recently, and he hasn't had a kid recently. And when you're the king, and you hear that there's another king that's been born... Um, how do kings typically react when that happens? Not so good, Al. And so he wants to find out where this pretender is. And Herod would know because, you know, they're being ruled over by Rome and they're expecting Messiahs to arise. And Herod probably wants himself to be the Messiah or one of his kids or at least work that angle to stay in power. And so he wants to figure out where this kid is. And interestingly, he gathers together um, the chief priests and the prophets because Herod's this weird, weird mix of belief and unbelief. He, he believes that the scriptures might point to where the kid is enough to get the scribes together. And then he believes enough to let these magi go and try to find the kid. But he doesn't believe enough that if they find something, they're going to kill it. Weird, huh? People are strange. And not in a good way. So they uncover from Scripture this prophecy about Bethlehem being the place where the king of the Jews should be born. Which isn't a surprise because the king of the Jews is supposed to be a descendant of David. And where is David from? So they send off the wise men, 
And this is where things get a little bit interesting because according to Scripture, the star that they saw rise, which indicated to them that the king of the Jews was born, has all of a sudden grown legs. Because this star isn't just in the sky anymore, it's now hovering over a house. And you would think if these guys had spent their lives watching stars, they would just know that typically stars just do this over the night sky, right? You can go watch one of those time-lapse videos if you've never actually just stick your head out the window. And don't do it nowadays because you'll die. But if the stars typically just do this over the night sky. They don't typically do this. Blink! Bloodlight. So that you can follow a star to a house. Amen? Right? Like, we use Google Maps and stuff, and that's helpful, but wouldn't it be great if you could just use Google Star, and it would just like, yeah, this is where the downtown Walmart is. <laughs> that was easy. Okay, so I'm just, I want to point out, something unusual has happened here. Was it an angel pretending to be a star? Are all stars angels? Like in the Dawn Treader? Who knows? The Bible wonderfully doesn't answer so many of our questions because the point isn't the star. The point is the baby. So go ahead and be curious. Please don't wreck your brain by starting some website where you gather all the weird conspiracy theories about this. That would be a waste of your life. So they come and they worship Imagine being Mary. Now, as I understand the story here, this contra the nativity movies that are typically made, Jesus is probably a year old by now or something because Herod goes to kill all the babies two years and under, depending on when the time the star showed up. So this probably isn't like the day after Jesus has been born. We also know from Luke that the parents did take him to the temple for the circumcision on the eighth day, and they did go to the Passover that year and all that stuff. So probably there's been some time, so Jesus probably isn't just like newborn, newborn. Maybe, that's how I understand it, but again, people are very free to try to put this data together the way they want to. Uh, what we do know is that Mary and Jesus were there when the wise men showed up. And then they're warned in a dream not to go back. So they've got three different communications happening to them. The stars talk to them, the Bibles talk to them, and then a dream has talked to them in order to direct them according to God's will here. And then Herod, realizing sometime later that he's been duped, um, again, doesn't just brush it off like nothing's happened, but believes enough to be angry about it and then orders all of these children in a certain area to be put to the sword, which is catastrophic. This is one of the worst parts in the entire Bible. So that's the story in a very small and quick nutshell. And this is a strange story, if you think about it, with these guys. And what I want to focus on here is I want to try to look at this story for us with two truths in mind. First is to echo something Jesus said in his life, it's better to give than to receive. And then I want to flip that around and say it's better to receive than give. So what do I mean by it's better to give than to receive? It's the Christmas season, which is when 
a bunch of companies in North America finally make some money because everybody goes out to buy stuff for each other, right? And, and very often we have things we want to get because it's enjoyable to get things. Does anybody here like getting things? Anybody like to receive stuff? Okay, now the rest of you who don't raise your hands in public, maybe you can just nod. <laughs> Wink twice. Sit still to acknowledge the truth. We like to get stuff. So much so that around this season, one of the delights, especially for the kids who are thankfully upstairs, otherwise they would have just gone nuts. They can anticipate and imagine, if you do that thing with the presents under the tree, there's some shaking that's going on and they want to think, that there, is, it, is this Lego pieces or is this just bits of garbage my dad put in a box to make it sound like Lego pieces? I can't figure this out. I would do that. There's just this delight in receiving, and there's this delight in getting. And so one of the things this story totally hits me here is that this Christmas story is actually the opposite of being excited about getting stuff. This story is a story about some people who traveled hundreds of miles in a time before there were cars in order to get a lot poorer in order to give. So imagine you're one of these magi. You can tell the magi from our nativity scene here because they got the the really fancy hats on. And we don't know what their names were. There's a tradition that they're named like Caspar and Belshazzar and Melchior or something like that, which are some sweet names, pregnant ladies. Oh, you know if you name your kid Melchior that they're going to have the same job in every Christmas play for the rest of their lives. But they got the, the, the shiny jewels on their heads and whatever. We have no idea how many magi they were. Traditionally, they're, they're three because they assume one guy brought the gold and one guy brought the frankincense, which is kind of like tree, a kind of tree sap that you can burn that smells nice. And same with the myrrh. Um, this guy here used to have the myrrh, but one of the kids got jealous and broke his hand off and ran off with the myrrh, <laughs> which is too bad. But he still got a sword. He just doesn't have a hand to use it, which is a bit also, you know, keep that one covered so nobody knows that you can't do anything with it. But if you follow the story, they saw a star, they believed it meant something, they got on their camels, they, pro- they traveled for possibly weeks, maybe months, riding on the back of one of these smelly things. I've ne- I haven't touched a camel, I've seen it at the zoo, there's nothing pleasant about a camel. The only thing they're good for is not dying when you travel in the desert. But there's nothing pleasant about these things. So they ride on one of these things and spend weeks like doing this on the back of a stinky flea bag with all their attendants. And it might have even been dangerous because if they're from the east, if they're from Persia, then they're from actually a different empire than the Roman Empire. So they're like going to a different empire where it is not home for them in order to do this worshiping. Like how stressed out do we feel when we go south of the border into the States? where we don't have our free health care, right? Imagine that recently our country had actually been at war with that country, which is actually what happened sometime fairly recently. Mark Anthony had actually been invading the East and losing, but they weren't friends. 
And so these guys are traveling in order to meet a baby, get on their faces in front of the baby, hand over expensive stuff, and then go home. And the only thing they got from the trip was to see someone. And to acknowledge through gift giving that that person was greater than them. That was the point of a multi-week, maybe multi-month dangerous trip was to go and acknowledge that there was someone on the planet much more important than them and they were going to validate this confession of worship by handing over their riches to them and then go home without those riches. They thought it was better to give than to receive. What, what did they receive in a tangible way? Nothing. <laughs> they, they, I mean, they kept their camels and stuff, but they went home way poorer. Like gold was worth something back then too, and so was myrrh. You can get myrrh on Amazon now, which is the craziest thing in the world, straight from like the Sudan or Somalia or whatever. But they, were hand, they, they, they traveled to get poorer, to a baby who was maybe one or two and would not physically remember them. So what? And when I think about this, I think our culture does not have a place in our brains for this kind of thing. Like we won't even go and meet a celebrity unless we've got our phone so we can take photographs of it, put it on. Hey, look at me. I mean, this guy I, too, was at the Backstreet Boy reunion tour. Me. Joey. Are you tracking with me? This, This is crazy. But they're operating in this world, which is a little bit Middle Eastern and a little bit ancient, but also the world of faith where they're convinced rightly that it is an honor to give honor and it is praiseworthy to give praise. And what makes someone great is to acknowledge someone greater than you with worship. Are you tracking with me here? What made them great? They came to acknowledge that Jesus was greater what makes these, these guys worthy of honor? They traveled to acknowledge that Jesus was worthy of more honor. So much more honor that in this story, whose names do we even know about here? We don't even know their names. Just Mary the peasant and Jesus the baby. And here's the bad guy. These guys don't even have names. The rich ones, they don't even have names in the Bible. Like they didn't even get that reward of their name going down in the book. That's not the point. The point was that their honor was to give honor and their greatness was to show greatness and that their worth was to give worship and their riches was to hand over their riches to somebody worthy of more riches. 
I'm at a loss. Let's talk about Star Wars. In our culture, we are obsessed with position, title, worth, praise, greatness. But we're obsessed with it in the wrong way. We're obsessed with it in the way of resenting people we think have more than us. Right? And so in this culture, it's fairly new. Like, it wasn't around when I was, when I was a kid. This whole thing about, like, privilege and checking your privilege. Have you ever guys heard about this stuff before? where everyone's job is to think about all the privileges they've had and then feel really guilty about it and then go to apologize to everybody because of the privileges you have. And so there was some interview with one of the actors of the new Star Wars movie that happened recently. Oh, these poor people. And, and somebody asked them, so what do you think about your privileges to this actor? And she was taken aback because I think she thought she was the one without the privileges because she was the new Jedi lady, and usually the Jedis are all guys, and so here she is, the most powerful Jedi ever as a lady, and so she's like, I don't know if I have privileges. And guess what happened? She got killed. Because you're not allowed to say that. (laughs) For people who don't know what's going on, this is how the world works right now. You're not allowed to not feel guilty about having something because we're all jealous for each other's gifts and privileges and honor. We're the opposite of the Magi who are jealous to acknowledge other people's gifts and give worth to other people's worthiness and to honor what other people have that's worthy of honor. And we're not immune. We're not immune to jealousy. We're not immune to meism. We're not immune to self-concern. We're not immune to sitting there on Christmas morning and seeing that your brother just got the brand new Super Nintendo Entertainment System and you got socks. (laughs) And I don't care if it's a six-pack. It still sucks. Right? Anybody? Is it just me? (laughs) It wasn't me, but... We all think that it is better to give than to receive until we don't receive. Or at least sometimes we struggle with that. And I think it all goes back to Genesis. Do you guys remember the story of Cain and Abel? The first two children of Adam and Eve after they're kicked out of the garden. And compared to our lives, these guys are absolutely dirt poor. Abel tends sheep. Cain grows plants. And that's all they have. No cars, no cash, They've got, like, something to cover their behinds, unlike some Japanese bathhouses. <laughs> but that's all they have. And they come at a certain time to worship the Lord, to worship God. And Abel, like these wise men, thinks, 
the best thing I can do is to give God my best. And the most honorable thing I can do is to honor God with my best. And the most worthy thing I can do is to show God's worth with my best. And so he takes the best portions of his flock and he sacrifices that to God. And Cain, on the other hand, just gives God some of what he's got. Abel gives God his best. Cain gives him some of the rest. And God responds by accepting Abel's worship, but not accepting Cain's worship. How does Cain respond, if you remember this story? I mean, God shows up and talks to him in a way like we could be jealous of. Like Cain actually had a conversation with God. And God says, hey, if you repent, if you do right, won't won't it all work out for you? How does Cain respond? Does he say sorry? Does he humble himself? Does he go and find his best and offer it to God? Well, no, he he goes and he kills Abel. Obviously, Abel's the problem here. And when I I think about that story, and then I think about this story, who's the Cain in the story of the Magi? I'm really stretching this one out. I've already heard the right answer a few times, but... It's Herod. The message that the king of kings and the king of the Jews is born comes out. And the Magi are like, let's grab our best and travel to go give it to him. And when Herod hears it, all he hears is, what's this going to cost me? Another king, a rival king. I've got plans. I've got plans for me. I've got plans for my kids. I've got plans for my wealth. I've got plans for my status. I've got plans for my power. What's this message of someone else deserving honor, someone else deserving worth, someone else maybe being more worthy? (sighs) Choke on that sentence. (sighs) Someone else having privilege. Got to put a stop to this. Do we want to do something radical, church? And not just put cute things on Facebook about how radical we are? Pictures of other people being radical? How about this Christmas, we determine in our hearts to try to celebrate good things God does for other people as much as we can as a way of trying to tell our hearts how worthy Jesus is of all of our thanksgiving. Because it's all about Him. What we have or what we don't have, what happens, what doesn't happen what we gain, what we lose. It's all about Jesus. This is the thing about Jesus is that whatever room he's in, he's the most important thing in the room. No matter who we are, what we want, wherever Jesus is, he is the most important person in the room. And if the Bible forgets to even mention our name, it it doesn't matter because Jesus was the most important person in the room. And that's so humbling. Don't you just want to punch somebody right now? 
I'm glad I'm up here behind solid wood. This thing could take a bullet. However, if I can get my brain into believing that it is better to give than to receive, then I am never poor because I can always give Jesus my praise again. And I can always be great by telling Jesus how great he is again. And I can always gain worth by telling Jesus how worthy he is again. And I can always be respectable by giving my respect to Jesus again. Amen? Say, what? This is a big deal. I'm really concerned that our whole culture is ruled over by a spirit of Cain, where we all think it's really normal to resent each other whenever we perceive that somebody has something that we don't. And we know what happens. Abel's going to go down. The babies are going to get killed. This is how it goes. It's better to give than to receive. This is what the Magi said. Now, I could say, hey, let's go give God our best and all this stuff, and, and I'm sure we could do a good job doing this, but I actually want to take some time now and talk about the opposite truth, that it's better to receive than to give. And I want to do this by looking at the one that these magi came to worship, which is stuck behind a cam- camel right now. It looks like, according to our nativity set, this is one of the babies that came out with a full head of hair. Right? And it's a little bit un-Jewish looking for my taste, but I don't, I'm not too particular. They came to acknowledge the gift of God. And they came because it's way better to receive than to give when it comes to God. In one sense. And this is what I mean. Jesus being born was God giving to the world and to everyone who would receive him. And what's he giving? A million things we could never earn or get on our own. This child came down to be the king of the Jews. Which kind of sounds interesting, great. Just like Prince Harry or that other one. A future king. How romantic. No, no, no. Because the king of the Jews is the son of David, and the son of David is a descendant of Abraham. And God promised Abraham that through his seed, he would bless the entire world. And Abraham was a child of Eve, and God had promised Eve that one of her offspring was going to destroy Satan and undo all of his works and save God's creation. And this is that child who has come to be a living savior, to undo the works of the devil, to undo the fall of man, to undo the sin of Adam and Eve and our sin, to take care of our guilt. This is the greatest gift ever. This is a promise that has taken thousands of years in Bible time to accomplish this baby. And because these guys believed that a star was talking to them, they in faith went to go and find this gift. And because when they got to Herod's court and they heard the words of Scripture, they believed and they went to Bethlehem and they saw the child. 
And you know, I, the Bible doesn't say, and they got born again, or whatever, but it's hard to believe that these guys didn't maybe grab some Old Testament scrolls on their way out of town and be believers wherever they were. They probably had an Old Testament wherever they were in the first place because they were super loaded, and the Jews were everywhere because they got scattered out of Jerusalem multiple times. The point is this gift, this man, child, this baby who is going to grow up, when you receive Jesus, you get a living Savior, church. Do I need to start waving my arms again? I know it's 1123. Okay, I made you feel bad about the gift giving. Let's acknowledge it and keep going here, okay? Lose whatever you need to lose. You are getting everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a living Savior, do we think it's impressive that God could give someone a dream so that they don't go back to Herod but go home a different way to avoid being part of a mass murder? Is that impressive? You have not just a dream. You have the living Christ to receive. You have a Savior. He didn't just stay a baby. This is a weird thing. We had some friends who were missionaries in Europe. Do you remember, where Kevin Maria, where were they again? In Prague? They tell their kids that Jesus stayed a baby and he like flies into their houses at Christmas and leave presents. So he's not still a baby. He grew up and he was a man and he was a living savior and he healed the sick and he raised the dead and he was kind to the poor and oppressed and he even loved the proud and rebuked them and hoped that they would listen, though they often didn't. Let it not be our story. And he was a great living savior, so much so that everyone thought he was going to be the savior in the world. And then he surprised them again because he didn't just come to be a living savior and the king and the son of David. He became this living life lamb of God. He became the sacrifice for our sins and he went to the cross and he died for our sins so that you and I who have either a little cane or a lot of cane in all of our hearts can bring that cane to God now and not hide and hate and despise and say, poor me, oh, oh, bad stuff. We can come to God and say, forgive. And for the sake of his blood, he'll forgive us all of our sins. And when we come to Christ, we come united with him in his death and in his resurrection. And we have a new and living life that comes into us by the power of the Holy Spirit as a free gift by faith so that now all things are possible with us and there's no such thing as having a right to despair because the life of God is in you and not only that but he's sitting on a throne in heaven right now not a throne of David on the earth but the throne of heaven with all rule and all power and all authority in his hand and we're so united with him that he says in Ephesians we're actually seated with him now in his throne because of his headship because he's united with everyone who comes to him by faith and i'm just beginning you get a new life and a new nature and a new hope and a new family and a new eternity in heaven with god forever where every day is better than the last and there is nothing at walmart that you can buy that even compares to any of it you get it, you get it, you get it for free. This is the thing, oh my goodness. We get it for free. By faith in this child, throw your gold at him. Throw your frankincense at him. What do you even got to lose? We get it for free by faith through grace as a free gift. It is so much better to receive than to give when it comes to God. It is so much better to say, mercy, Give by mercy. 
than to ever want to say, I did this for you, I did that for you, I'm giving this to you. It's an honor to give. It's not a cost. And then we receive. How amazing. We should sing. Yes. Anybody want to sing? This Christmas, I, this Christmas, okay, I'm going to, I'll do the typical pastor wrap up. Remember this Christmas is so much more blessed to give than to receive. Amen. When you're given to Jesus, when you're given with Jesus, and this Christmas, remember, as Christians, it is so blessed just to receive than to try to, to earn anything with God by giving back to Him. Receive, 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 receive. Amen. So.